Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Hi, Bliss. Here we are again. Hey, how's it going? Um, well, whenever I'm in your kitchen, it's going well. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yay. I like being in your kitchen. Back in the kitchen. Yeah, because, you know, we're not going to be in the kitchen that much longer, are we? No, we got to savor the moment. I know. Yeah. I know. So mm-hmm. here we are. We're going to talk today. What are we talking today about? What's our big topic today? You our know topic it. today is about retained placentas, manual removal of placentas. Okay. And that's probably because you had one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were going to talk about something else, which we'll do very soon. Um, we're going to talk about studies. Maybe we'll do that next week. Uh, yeah, we've got a list of things a mile long, yeah. things to talk about. But, but I did have one. And so I said, you know, this is really timely. Um, so let's talk about it. Yeah, because our, our new format, like we said, we're going to try to do all our usual shtick, but then also we're going to have one topic, which we're going to try to focus on. But before we get to that topic, I uh, wanted to catch up a little bit. Um, let's see. Uh, coincidence yesterday, almost that would. Quinky yeah. dinky, as yeah. I like to say. The, you do like to say that? I don't think I've ever heard you say that. <laughs> what are the odds that at about 4.45 in the afternoon in Studio City at my local gas station, I would run into the only other Los Angeles breach provider Pumping gas in his car as well. Dr. Brock? Dr. Brock. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> I know. So we had, a really, Mary Brock. we had a real nice conversation until we got to the point where he asked me if I got vaccinated yet. And then it went bad? <laughs> yeah, then it went bad. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he's like, he's so sold on, uh, you know, that being vaccinated is absolutely the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't want to hear anything else. No, 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 no. Because people have their opinions. Right. That's where they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he just said, well, when you're, if you get really sick in six months, don't come crying to me. And I said, yeah. And if you get really sick in six months, don't come crying to me. <laughs> That's what I said. Gosh, I wish I had this on video. I can just imagine you guys on each side. of the Oh, it was really nice to see him because we're both wearing masks. So he, I didn't, I didn't see him. He recognized me. Oh, well, I had taken my mask off already because mm-hmm. I came out of the place. I was pumping gas, mm-hmm. but he still had his mask on originally. And I, I looked at him. I wasn't quite sure who it was because. It's the last person I would expect to run into a gas station yes. in Studio City uh, <laughs> on a, what there would have been a Tuesday afternoon. Oh, funny. At, uh, like 4.45 in the afternoon. Yeah, very small. Mm-hmm. So the entire breach providing doctor population was at the same gas station. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a town of 11 million people or 10 million people, there's two of us. So, I mean, there's a few other minor players, but nobody that's well-known that yeah. does it right. Uh, the only other piece of news that I got just related to my conversation with Barry Brock, which we didn't get into, but uh, there's a, there was a Stanford study that came out. It was sponsored by a the National Center for, oh gosh, I can't read it. You can't read it. You what I said? Really? Biotechnological mm-hmm. information. It's a division of the NIH, and they came out on the futility and uselessness of face masks. So this is kind of interesting that there are studies beginning to come out now. There was another study uh, someplace else that was published in a major journal about the uselessness of face masks. So we're starting to see more of that. I'm not sure why, but this one. Can we post the link? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have a, I have a follow-up letter. Oh, first I have a birth. Should I talk about a birth or a follow-up letter? First? Either one. 
follow pleasure. All right. Okay. Follow your instincts, as I like to say. All right. So she goes, this is Jennifer C. from our last episode with the hypertension. So I don't think it was our last episode, but it was a couple episodes ago. It wasn't. Right. Because these letters end up sitting in my box for a while because we never get to them. I get a stack of things. She says, "Woo! so excited. (laughs) By the way, it's Jennifer C. I follow your advice and got a second opinion at a new doctor who works with midwives. And he spent an entire hour with me at our first appointment. He and his midwife are so amazing, supportive, and feel so much more comfortable with their care and approach being, I am the one in the driver's seat. They gave me all the information to consider, but I'm the one that makes the ultimate decision. They were fine with me going past 37 weeks if no severe features occur with preeclampsia and left the decision up to me. Thank you and Bliss for spending so much time on answering my email and pushing me to advocate for something that didn't feel right. I'm 35 weeks now and feeling great. Hope smooth sailing from... That's great. Yay. Congratulations on trusting yourself and getting a different opinion and going finding somebody that feels like a good fit. It's never too late. Here's a woman that she must have been about what, 32, 33, 34 weeks at the time. Mm -hmm. And they're already telling her how her birth is going to go. Yeah. Nobody has a crystal ball. Right. Yeah. So you know what that reminded me of? I had a client come in today for a um for a visit. They're, you know, they're interviewing their pediatrician. They're they're in their due window. And uh, they called up this pediatrician and they said, we don't take home birth clients. The pediatrician said that. The pediatrician said that they would not take. I've heard that before. I was offended. They said, you could come into our care after two months. What's the difference? They just don't want to take the liability. Like they feel like they're more liable. But what if your baby makes it to two you months? You know, if you, you ask them switch? for an explanation, whatever explanation they gave you would not make sense. It's annoying. It would be some artificial thing like liability. Yeah. As if home birth people are more litigious or there's more likely to be a problem with a home birth baby. Yeah. There's more like we're not paying attention. They're going to get a shit show. Same thing as like um, what they think about us transporting to the hospital. Right. Well, there are pediatric practices. that There are pediatric practices that won't take people who won't follow the vaccine schedule. Oh, that makes a little more sense to me than you're having a home birth. And so therefore we don't take you. I just never heard that. Well, yeah, it makes more sense. It's still unethical. Yeah. Unethical. I like that. It's unethical. (laughs) Okay. So you're going to tell us about a birth now? Yeah. Real briefly. It was a, it was a lovely twin birth. Um, See the baby first baby was vertex. And the second baby was transverse. So it's always exciting. Uh, they were die die twins. Uh, baby's uh, number, let's see, three and four for her. Mm-hmm. So multiparous. What does it mean when they're multiparous? That they could go fast. And high success rate. Oh, right. I was like different species. Different species. That's right. See, I got you trained. There. Different species. So, um, we knew she might go fast and she lived sort of far away, mm-hmm. but it turned out that I actually would happen to be out in that area anyway, which worked out great because I got a call at like seven, a little after seven o'clock in the morning that things were starting to really pick up. And normally she's about an hour, an hour and a half drive from me, but I happened to be out that way. Don't ask me why I was out that way <laughs> in that early in the morning, but it only took me like 24 minutes to get there. And I got there about 7.40 and first baby was out at 7.48. Oh, yeah. You told me about this. That yeah. was lucky. 
Yeah. Well, I, you know, I didn't need to be there for the first one anyway. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it. The midwife caught her on the birth stool uh-huh. and the baby was head first. And that baby was, wow, what was it? Six, six, 12, six pounds, 12 ounces. We didn't know that at the time because obviously we don't weigh them until hours later. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that was at 748. And then we took a listen to baby B and baby B's heart rate was fine. But baby B, unfortunately, was still laying transverse with an arm and a hand in the lower uterine segment. But what was actually presenting was the placenta, which I've never seen before. Okay. Okay. I had never seen that before. And so, and, and the placenta was like, it was almost like a placenta preview, but it couldn't have been a placenta preview because the baby just came out. Yeah. So what it turned out to be to make a long story short was it turned out to be that the, that was placenta baby A's placenta. And I have always told people that, oh, don't worry. I've never seen one placenta come out before the second baby. They always come out together. Yeah, they're usually not true. Not anymore. (laughs) So what happened was, is we decided because the baby was laying sideways and because the heart rate had dipped to 112 and then then we started to get that concern. Plus what I was seeing was already starting to make me inside, like my my heart palpitate a little bit because what I'm going to have to put my hand through this placenta but hopefully it's placenta A, but even if it wasn't, even if it was placenta B and you have to go through it to get baby B out, you go through it and get baby B out as fast as possible. So you couldn't bring it through. Well, that's what I ended up doing. Uh-huh. I didn't know initially what it was. Uh-huh. So I put my hand in there and sure enough, I'm feeling the opening to the uterus, which is shrunk down a little bit and I'm feeling placenta. And I know that the placenta is coming from posterior. So I try to slip my hands anteriorly underneath the, um, the upper lip of the cervix. Can't really get in there without going through the placenta. So I just sort of go into the placenta. Feeling the maternal side? Yes, I'm feeling the maternal mm-hmm. side of the placenta. So the cotyledons. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, the mushy side. Mm-hmm. And um, is that a term? Mushy. Like Trump? Is that a medical term? <laughs> no, it's not medical, <laughs> but we know what you're talking um, about. <laughs> so anyway, what somebody suggested, one of the actually one of the other midwives said, you know, I think the cord has been lengthening. I think that's probably the A's placenta. And I go, oh, that can't happen. But anyway, so I just sort of, grabbed the placenta and I pulled on and it out, out it came. Great. It's a good lead up from my story. Right. But apparently it's somewhere before that had happened. Um, there was a, Oh, there was also when she was on the birth stool shortly after the first baby came out, there was a gush of blood. Mm-hmm. So was that placental separation or was that baby B's bag of water breaking mixed with blood? We weren't really sure, but there was no bag of waters for baby B anymore. Once that was, once I got the placenta out of the way, the baby B was right. It was there, but it was still, with a, with a yeah with a hand out so i got the placenta out and um found a foot right away pulled the foot down and then was able to go back up find the baby's butt find the other foot and it really was a fairly simple breech extraction mm-hmm. and that baby was born at uh 7, 40, 8, 10, so 22 minutes i i know i know we have another topic today but since we're kind of starting over again yeah. um can you talk just briefly about why you go in for the feet for our yeah, because you, because you can grab them. Uh-huh. You can't grab the head. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can't deliver a baby if you from the arm. Right. That's sideways. Right. That only happens in movies. <laughs> movies that are one accurate. Of my, one of my, one of the, my, it's not a favorite line, but it's one of my favorite movies was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I don't know if people remember that movie, but it's very sweet and very funny. And there's a scene in there where, where they, they have to get a ride by somebody in a pickup truck and the and the, and the guy's wife has to pick up the luggage and they, and they're trying to help her and they don't help her. She's really strong, 
she had her baby came out sideways. <laughs> I still remember that. <laughs> thinking obstetrician, I was thinking, oh, how, does that, how does that work? <laughs> but that's my concrete brain. Anyway, um, and that and then it, it went fine. But it was really interesting because the first baby came out, and then there was a, a like a separation gush of blood. But it was sort of confusing because I I hadn't seen that yeah before yeah. And they were they were um, die die twins, completely separate boy and girl. So I guess, and, and we knew the placentas were implanted completely different places, anterior, posterior, mm-hmm. and they came out. So wow. again, using at the point where we had to get the baby out. So even if it had been the placenta, I had to go through it. Like when you do a C-section for somebody with an anterior placenta previa, okay, you have to go through the placenta to get the baby out mm-hmm. and you just move quickly. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we did. But, but the baby was fine. So, yeah, but you hadn't ever done it or seen it before. So it was like, oh, let's see how this is going to go. I know. And, and, you know, people think that, you know, at some point you see everything and you never see everything. No, there's that's the cool thing about something, this job, actually. Yeah, there's always something new. Yeah. Um, and this was, I, you know, when I lecture on twins, I always say, you know, the, don't worry, the placentas always come out after the second twin. They come out together. And now I can't say that. Rare. Somebody Very had written rare. to me saying they'd seen that before. Mm-hmm. And so I know it does happen, but it had never happened to me. So, um, but it was a beautiful birth. And, and then the, and then the two other kids came home from grandma's and then we had a family affair. Mm -hmm. I I posted it on my Instagram Mm -hmm. page. You saw the post. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, really sweet. So that was really nice. And then I picked up a, another primip who's breech, who's going to have a home birth. Great. Right. Yeah. That was this week. And um, yeah. And did you have any first? At two births. Uh, anything um, you want to say? Yeah. Well, one you're going to talk about. Yeah, one, one, one we're going to talk about. Um, well, the other one was a mom who had padromal labor um, for three days. Her pattern just never really picked up. And she had a neighbor friend who was going to be her doula. <laughs> and um, her doula was there the whole day, the second day. Um, and then she said, you know, the contractions are every two to three minutes apart. And she sent me a screenshot of the app. And I looked at it and I'm like, it looks like it says that they're six to seven minutes apart. And she's like, well, I'm really confused about how to use this app, but she's definitely like, you know, feeling it. I'm like, okay, I'll head over. And so I go over and I couldn't even reach her cervix. I could tell when I walked in that she was having contractions, but she hadn't had bloody show and she, you know, you could just tell and they're chatty and right. And so I was like, let me do an exam. And so I couldn't even get to the cervix. And so I was like, look, let's get some rest, go to your acupuncture appointment in the morning, and then we'll regroup. And um, she ended up the end of that second day deciding that she was ready to go into the hospital. So she went in, had an epidural. She was one centimeter dilated when she got there after three days um, and got to three centimeters the next day, but the baby wasn't coping well. They couldn't give her Pitocin because the baby just wasn't coping well. And so she went in and had a C-section. Um, but I talked to her today and she is really pleased. She had a very good experience in the hospital. They were really lovely with me. I was going to go in and we were all going to get swabbed for COVID. Um, but then they were like, look, we'll just get the epidural and get some rest, go home and get some rest and we'll call you tomorrow. And so I never actually got it. Did uh, Was this a random hospital or did you pick the hospital she went to Huntington because it's near her right. and that's so the it's one she wanted to. Um, so you didn't yeah. you didn't know any practitioners there. Right? No, and Huntington isn't always my favorite, but she said they were great, the nurses were great, our experience was great. So good good job, Huntington. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's when when you have nice collaboration, like the story we talked about last week with um, with the VBAC after two mm-hmm. and Dr. Pickett over at uh, California Hospital. It's great, and and people people even if they end up with an intervention or even end up with a C section, they they're psychologically and emotionally they're usually so much better than yeah. when, when they've been told that they can't do something like Jennifer. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, this yeah. is how it's going to go. I mean, I think I talked a week or two ago about, about somebody with twins at 12 weeks who said that, you know, you're going to have an epidural and you're going to be delivered by, you know, 37 weeks. Right. And they're yeah. telling her that at 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay. Just quickly, um, a gratitude letter. I've got, I've got, Oh yeah. Like we have some reviews too. So this is like the patting ourselves on the back section. Do we have that, that our new segment, a new segment? Okay. I wanted to make sure that, uh, dear Dr. Fishbein, this is from Julia. I wanted to make sure you had been notified that our little boy arrived this night. This was a couple days ago after a super fast and intense birthing experience. As we had an appointment scheduled today, I wanted to check that Amy, my midwife had gotten in touch as she informed me she would do so to cancel her appointment. Isn't that mm-hmm. sweet? I know Julia. Right. And she just took, mm-hmm. she took time out of her first day with her baby to write me. I know. That's right. sweet. At the same time, I wanted to express how grateful we are that to have had the chance to meet you and knowing I had the privilege to continue not rushing this little one, thanks to having you join my birthing team, if necessary, made me much more at ease and took away the anxieties and fears that I had been facing last week. And she was at 41 and six sevenths weeks. Mm-hmm. So if she hadn't delivered by midnight on that day, she would have been un- caught under the umbrella of the stupid 42-week rule. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that all this contributed to this little one feeling safe enough to come Earth side. And I wanted to truly thank you for giving me that chance. So the reason I read these is not so much to pat, pat us on the back, but because there's a purpose in talking about the idea of the pressure that's put on these women by some arbitrary endpoint that one size fits all that really, really talk about a lot on our podcast, mm-hmm. how, you know, putting all women into an algorithm and they all have to fall in this position. And if they don't, then we can't, then, then we have to do, we have to do something inter, uh, invasive. Yeah. And uh, in this case, this gave her, you know, and again, I don't know that it had anything to do with it, but I know that when people come see me, sometimes they leave much more relaxed than when they walked in the door because they feel like they have an option and they're confident. And a lot of these people then go into labor in the next day or so. Yeah. I've seen, this, I've seen this with breach moms too. Mm-hmm. I'll meet a breach mom for the first time. And then the, the day later she's in labor. That's yeah. Right. It's the, it's the oxytocin we were talking about. Um, it's interesting. You're talking about just like opening up the perspective of what's possible. I saw a post Instagram post yesterday. A woman had her baby at 45 weeks. She was a V back after three cesareans and advocated for herself and had a baby safely in a water and tub uh, at 45 weeks. What country, what country was this in? I'll have, to, I'll have to give you guys an update. I think it was here. No. I'm but just, yeah, 45 so weeks. Do so we, that happens. Yeah. Do we believe she was really 45 weeks or do we believe her dates were off? Or we don't really know. We don't really know. But I do see um, people delivering at 44. I just think that we just limit things so much that we don't even know what's normal anymore. Yeah, I mean, there was data from earlier times where they didn't have this induction stuff. Yeah. Right. So that's really far off the scale. But again, if people have irregular cycles and they're assigned a a due date based on an irregular cycle and they really didn't get pregnant until two weeks later than their thing. (laughs) Right, right. So I'm just saying that because 45 weeks is. uh, Yeah. Now, let me ask, do you know anything? Was there thick meconium? Was there meconium? 
I don't know. It was an Instagram post. And what would really be interesting <laughs> is to do something called the Dubowitz. You know what the Dubowitz score is? Dubowitz no. score is how they, they look at a newborn baby and they look at certain parameters to see uh, and they can sort of date the baby based on oh, we call it skin, something else. Skin, you call it, it begins with a B, one that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a whole, you have yeah. a whole little graph, yeah. how far you can flex the arms and all that stuff. Yeah. We don't have that. I actually saw that for the first time when the midwife the other day was doing the newborn exam mm-hmm. and they were, and the, it, it's very detailed, but it, but it, when you have excellent dating, I'm not sure why we're wasting all this time. Oh, I know. Yeah. But they were. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were doing it. And yeah. so I was, I, I learned something. That's another thing I learned here was that this thing, we call it a Dubowitz score. It's based on like how far the creases go down the bottom of the feet, how much the skin is peeling. Uh, how much fat is on them? How flexible their ears are? Yeah, if that's genitalia. That, that sort of thing. Totally formed. Right. Yeah. That sort of thing. So it's been really interesting for those two things. Was there meconium, and what did the baby do? What's out at? Because it would be surprising if she was forty-five weeks. But it makes a great story anyway for her to be empowered to do her own thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll just do one review today, and I'll do the next one next time. So it says ten out of ten. It's the handle. So I don't know what this woman's name is for this person's name. I shouldn't assume it's a woman. Um, I'm so thankful for Dr. Sue and Bliss. Not only have I learned so much about them, about birth after having had a breech baby C-section, they've empowered me to go for a VBAC and not to be held in fear, but to look at the current data. But I'm also thankful for the way that they respect each other in spite of having very different worldviews in today's cancel culture we could all learn from them on how they handle hard topics together. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't have, well, we do have different, partially different worldviews on certain we subjects. Do. On certain we subjects, do. right. And I think that we've talked about that before. We've talked about the fact that, you know, we think it's important that we've been able to stay friends and um, talk through these topics and that we get to model that for people because uh, just because someone has a different political view or feels differently about a vaccination or whatever it is, you know, that's because you know know why I think it is. And this is not an insult to people who don't do this, but because we're rational and we're grownups. And I have respect for you. I think, yeah, I think, well, partly because I'm rational and I'm a (laughs) grownup. No, I'm saying because I think that people who, who, who get so passionate about something and and, and pour so much hate or so much venom out, it's, it's, it's juvenile. Yeah. Right. So thanks for noticing. We we feel the same way and we're glad that it makes a difference for you. Yes. This is from Debbie. She's a midwife who um, I love this one. And it actually comes on the tail of this woman having a breech C-section, the one that Mm -hmm. you just read about. Mm -hmm. I wanted to personally thank you for the training you have provided for midwives like me in the past few years. Well, not this past year anyway. (laughs) This past year, everything's been on hold. But not only were you an inspiration for me leaving the hospital setting and starting a home birth business, but your training fully prepared me for my first surprise breach. I love this. (laughs) My client is a paraplegic and had approached me about a home birth. She had one birth two and a half years ago, but felt she was treated so high risk just because of her disability. Hmm. Her birth went without complications, despite her many specialists who seemed very worried. I was delighted to serve this young woman. The entire pregnancy, the baby was in posterior vertex presentation, even a few hours prior to the birth. The mom contacted me at approximately 0200 with regular contractions. When I arrived, I did a quick vaginal exam and felt a huge bulging bag of waters. Because of her position in the bed, it was difficult to evaluate any further. The bag of waters ruptured with lots of clear fluid, and she immediately began pushing. It took me just a minute to connect the sudden meconium (laughs) and the presenting part. Mm-hmm. Because of your training, I was able to remain very calm and even was even excited. 
When I announced the baby was breached, it was a picture-perfect breach delivery. It went very quickly and baby responded well despite some lower heart tones. Baby girl was born at 0242. 42 minutes later. Yeah, 42 minutes mm-hmm. later, weighing 614. Again, just want you to know you are making differences in lives all over the world. Yay. And Debbie is, um, oh, I think she's in Michigan. I think she's the one that made us our t-shirts. Yeah, it says fan club president, Debbie. Yeah, she made, by the way, my t-shirt is completely washed out. The letters came off. Yep, we need new ones. We need new t-shirts. <laughs> Email me for my address. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, one last reminder that I, I mentioned this last podcast, I'm going to mention it again is Evidence-Based Birth podcast number 172 did a podcast on breech vaginal birth with Dr. Rick Safries and Dr. David Hayes. Mm-hmm. And again, for anybody that's interested in the breech aspect of things, this was a really good podcast. They went into depth. They took their time. Rebecca Decker is very thorough about, about stuff and Rick and David are very professional. So if you want an, another good podcast that's purely about breech birth, it's Evidence-Based Birth podcast number 172. Great. I saw your picture on something with, uh, I think it was Dr. Berlin and a bunch of other providers. Yeah, that's an online, that's an online webinar type thing uh-huh. where some interviews were recorded over the last several months. And I think it got released recently. What was it called? I forgot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find it because I think it, I, I put it in my story. Do my stories disappear? Yeah, after oh. 24 hours. Oh, well, then you can't find it there. <laughs> But you can find it on uh, Dr. Berlin's page, which is what? At um, his is informed pregnancy. Oh, at informed pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, he's yeah, got a great. Podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's a, there were like twenty people involved yeah. in that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I do those like two or three times a year with different organizations. I also talked to the people in Wales, and they said that the documentary that I was recorded for is coming out sometime in late May. So I'll keep you I'll keep you posted on that too. Cool. Okay. 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 So you want to hear about my other birth? Yes. Okay, great. So she um, was, this was the second time that I supported her. Um, and she had a VBAC at home with me uh, a little over a year ago. You're like a year and two months. Um, so she got pregnant again right away. Right. I met her. Yeah. You've right. worked with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did have a, a good size bleed last time. So I was already kind of thinking I wanted to be prepared this time. She had more of like a trickle bleed where it just kind of like kept going and wouldn't really like stop that, that you kind mean of thing. Baby number two or this one? Baby number two. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And so when my assistant Kim came, who's also another licensed midwife, I said, draw up 20 units of Pitocin just to have it ready and I wasn't going to wait. She started to bleed again. I was just going to like give the pit. Right. So we were in the tub, beautiful delivery. She had a, a she had a, an interesting tear that last, last time it took a long time to heal. Um, so she was intact. Um, you know, it was, it was just beautiful, total control in the water. So we were, you know, meeting the baby and she started to have some bleeding in the tub. And so I was like, okay, let's get out, you know, kind of like, you know how it is when we're getting out and trying to like short cord, trying to manage the baby and everything. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's we want to move. Let's go, you know, and we get her on the bed and um, she's bleeding. I mean, and the placenta's inside. And so I said, sweetie, we're going to, we're going to bring your placenta out. And so I did a little bit of cord traction and had her push and um, the cord snapped. 
And I wasn't even really like, I was really doing gentle traction. Uh, yeah. I mean, I believe you, somebody else yeah. would, criti- would criticize you, yeah. but I would believe, I believe you that happened sometimes. Yeah. And Kim and I looked at each other and we're like, uh-huh. now what? <laughs> now what? And so I was like, well, you knew what, but that's, yeah. it took me a second. Right. You know what I mean? It was like, I've never done it before. And so it was like, I got to go get the placenta. Oh, I didn't know you've never done it before. I've never done it I before. didn't know that, you've, but you've seen me do it. I've never seen anybody in training. Oh, you never saw me nope. do it either? Oh. Just learned, like, theoretically, this wow, is bliss. what you this, do. See, this is good. This is like, you know, I was talking about my my twin, and I, I'd never right. seen a placenta there right. before. I thought that was interesting. And I had to figure out how to go. I just had to figure out how to get that baby out of there. Yeah. You right. just so like, you, you put it together. You're like, okay, I got to go in for the placenta. And so I and you can't call for help. It's not like you can call the attending. Nope. nope. And last time, <laughs> right. because she had this trickle bleed, I did have to go in and, and scoop out clots last time. So she and I had had a similar experience before, although we didn't want to have it again. Here we were again. And I was like, I'm going in. And she's like, okay. And so I went in and you know how you were saying like, but the placenta is just like mush. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, uh, I don't your know. Finger, your fingers go right through it. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get it all out. Like, and so, but you're supposed to like scoop along the um edge of the uterus, like to keep your fingers, yes. keep your fingers together and kind of scoop so that you're shearing it off. And of course I'm thinking, okay, what if this is retained? You know, that's a thought, right? Um, and retained, but well, it is retained on them. I mean, oh, no, but saying, I mean, not coming, right? Like you're trying to scoop it off and it's not coming. Because like, it might be, like it might be some sort of a Krita or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because okay. yeah. she had had a VBAC, although this was up in the upper segment of the uterus. So that, yeah, we had looked at that. that we had looked at that. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't where the lower uterus But you know, you, you're always doing, they're always deducting as you're doing this, like, okay, if this doesn't work, what's next, right? You're like kind of in your mind a little bit one step ahead. And you can have accretas that have nothing to do with VBAC. That's true. Right? Yeah. Uh, PCOS or, you know, Pre- other Previous too. Ds and Cs. Yeah. Uh, or even just some rarely random times it can happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So I did, I was able to bring it out. Um, I couldn't tell if it was completely intact in that moment and she was still bleeding. So I said, I'm going in again and I'm just going to make sure that nothing was left behind. So I went in one more time and so I you, just are, are explored. You, are you right hand? You're going right hand or left? Left. Hand? left so you put your, you had your right hand on her fundus right. and going in left hand. Right. Okay. So protect, what do you call it? Protecting. Well, just to keep, no, they you call just, it something. I think it's called protect, protecting the uterus or they call but, it something. I don't think in my, in my world, they call it anything mm-hmm. other than, keeping the uterus where you can get your hand into it. Yeah. If you don't have your hand blocking the top, then as you put your hand in, it's just, you're going, it's going farther and farther away from you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And you want to make sure that that fundus is firm too. It also gives you a way to um, massage the fundus with your off, off hand. Right. Okay. So went in again, scooped out the rest of the, or, you know, there wasn't really anything in there, but I was making sure that I didn't leave anything behind. And lo and behold, when we looked at the placenta later on, it was intact. I could not believe it. Because the way that it was feeling inside of my hands was that it was like, you know, like I was tearing it apart is what it felt like because I couldn't get my hand on the on the part where it feels more solid, which is the baby side. Um, So anyways, it was very, very interesting. And you were able to do this without an epidural. Yes, of course. I couldn't do an epidural. No, of course. People people often think, well, how do you do these things when you without an epidural. Well, our, our, first of all, our patients generally are 
are well informed that this, these are possibilities. Two, they trust us. Mm-hmm. Three, we talk to them while we're doing it. We tell them what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can do that because I, people will say, well, how can you do a breach extraction on somebody who doesn't have an epidural? It's like, yeah, well, it's not it's fun. Un- it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's definitely right. not fun. And I have to tell you, I, you know, I processed it later because I'm such a perfectionist, you know, and I always like to give informed consent and be really connected with the woman as I'm doing something that's intense. And, you know, normally, like if I'm doing something intense, I'm like, you know, let me know if you need me to stop, like when you're suturing or doing a vaginal exam, but you can't stop on this. You have to just do what needs to be done and right. And so no, you have, you, you, you have you're, to, you're it. You, yeah. You just have to do it. And short so, of calling an ambulance, which you really don't want to do because if you call an ambulance, um, she's going to be bleeding for the next 45 minutes to hour by the time someone takes care of her dog. Well, then of course you could do, um, bimanual compression to stop the bleeding and, you know, we're trained in all this stuff, but you can go on the gurney. I've heard, you know, I've heard how, how we would manage this, but of course I didn't want her to go in. How heavy, once the cord snapped off, how heavy was she bleeding or was she, was she bleeding normally, but you were now stuck because you had no handle on the placenta? Um, no, it was, I mean, it, it wasn't a normal bleed because when I went back and assessed, she had lost 800 cc's of blood before the placenta came out and then continued to lose another, um, seven. It took a while. Mm-hmm. It took a while. So we gave her 20 units of pit in her IM and then we hung a bag and put 20 more units. I also did misoprostol rectally. Mm-hmm. And then I used um, Unin-Bial, which is a, I'll talk about it in a little bit, but it's a, it's a um, Chinese medicine that we were taught in um, school. And so I was like, let's just do all the things, you know, like, cause I really didn't want to have to go back into her uterus. Um, and so I was really, we tried to pee, we did a placenta smoothie, we did all of all the things, you know? Um, and she eventually just, you know, she had kind of this trickle bleed, but she was firm. And I was like, let's just keep a watch on it. Mm-hmm. And then she was fine. But yeah, it was quite an good, adventure. Good work. Yeah. It was quite an adventure. Did you take your blood pressure and pulse afterwards? I took hers. <laughs> no. <laughs> whenever I have something like that, I, 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 you know, I didn't. Usually the midwife will walk in on me while I'm like in the other room, just catching my breath. And they'll, they'll take my blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I was going to say when I did the postpartum visit yesterday, mm-hmm. I had, I got a little emotional um, because I said to her, we were talking it through. I said, I don't think you really know what happened. Right. And she's like, no, not really. And so I explained to her that, you know, it was a partial, I believe it was a partial separation. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm really sorry. I feel like when I'm looking back at it, I couldn't really like connect with you while I was doing that. Cause I was just in go mode. And she's like, it's okay. I think in some ways it was easier this time because I couldn't like tense up. Whereas last time I really prepared her for what I was about to do. And this time I just went for it. Um, and then the other thing that I made sure to do is when we clamped the cord on the baby side, right. Cause it now we need to clamp the baby right side. Um, I, I took a second and I just, took the baby in because I wanted to make sure the baby was okay. And so I like made eye contact with this baby and I was like, I'm so sorry that I had to like separate you from your cord so quickly. Um, yeah. That's very sweet. It was really important to me. To- you, But you have that sense. I mean, that's who yeah, you are. I mean, I, you know, Kim said to her too, she's like, I've never seen bliss do so much like before the placenta was even out, like I'm just not the type of person to 
I think my, our listeners know I'm not the type of person right. to step in, but you know, that was one of those times. And she's like, so you saved my life. And it made me so uncomfortable. I was like, I think that if you had been doing an unassisted delivery, it would, it would have been a really bad thing. You've been touch and go, right. Or yeah. you've been in some remote area. Yeah. With, uh, without somebody who's as skilled as you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or afraid, or afraid to, to do what you did. Right. And you yeah, did. you got to do it. Right. You That's what they it. taught us in school. If you see bleeding like that before the placenta's out, you got, you just have to do it. So I've done it now. So I have a question for you, which maybe you can help listeners understand because they don't teach this to in medical school either is how to assess blood loss. Yeah. You just said, well, if she, she poured out 800 initially and then another, I think you said 600 or something like that. Seven. Whatever. How do you, how, <laughs> six, seven, oh, what's the difference? Oh, and by the way, I will tell you that, but one of the other reasons why we didn't go in and why I felt comfortable to continue to, to just assess and help her stop bleeding is that she was always stable. She yeah. never got shocky. Her blood pressure was normal. She felt fine. She No, if she's getting shocky or something like that, you, and, got, and you, you call. You call. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But she never did. Right. Um, so how do we, so yeah, how, they teach how do they that. Te- yeah. So how do they do that? Can you, can you sum that up in a few minutes? Yeah. Okay. So um, first of all, the tub um, depending on how um, clear the water is, you can make an assumption about how much blood is in there. So if it looks like deep red wine and you cannot see the towels in the bottom of the tub, you assess that it's about 500 cc's. So even uh, even in one of those big uh, mm-hmm. um, birth pool in a box tubs? Especially, right. bigger. So, so wouldn't it be... If it's if it's really burgundy colored, wouldn't that be more than five hundred? Or they're saying at least five hundred. That's the, usually the assessment. Okay. If you can see, then it's less, and you kind of do a guesstimation depending on how light the water is. Once you're able to go back and look okay, at it. and then if they're on land, is it by the weight of the chucks, or is it by a lot of visualization? People, a lot of people will actually weigh the chucks, so they mm-hmm. know how much a chucks weighs. Um, when you know you zero it out before like a normal chucks that doesn't no, have any doesn't liquid much, in it yeah. um and then you put the chucks on and that's what you can estimate but uh, we just learned it visually yeah. i mean we learned how to do that too but i don't carry a little scale around with me um so you just start to get good at you pour out liquid um that has color to it and you just start to be tested on you know how much this is and we go you, the, the, the person who poured it knows but you just keep getting better and better and better at it yeah i have a i, I have a snarky little anecdote <laughs> okay okay so when i used to work in a hospital there was a group of physicians who sort of ran the department this was out in ventura county and they ran the department and they alternated who was going to be chairman every two years it was always the same group of people they would just switch around mm-hmm. so they were the ones that were like they were the ones that decided who gets peer-reviewed and who doesn't get peer-reviewed and so you know that like dr laura and dr fishbein dr Lauer, they're going to get peer-reviewed but none of our people are going to get peer-reviewed and somehow i heard either through chart review or through the grapevine that one of the women that was working for this other woman who was like one of the big mucky mucks at the hospital had said that she never that she never had a baby lose more than two hundred ninety cc's of blood. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? why? Because three hundred cc's triggers a chart review. Oh. <laughs> so blood loss in a hospital setting, when it's done by the physician, is garbage in, garbage out. Uh huh. We don't. They're not, we're not even taught how to estimate. Yeah. And they lie. 
<laughs> okay. You have those little bags though, right? That you just scoop every, you yeah, stick them a, under their butt but and then it just scoops in there. Yeah, some of it, but some of it could be, but I'm just saying no matter how much blood is in the bag, mm-hmm. she would write down 299 cc's. Okay. Mm-hmm. And these are the people in charge of, of quality control for my department. Yeah, and I, I don't understand that. why 300 cc's would be chart reviewed. It's not even 500. No, I know. Considered a hemorrhage. I, I, I think it was designed so that they had ways of picking on the people they want to pick on. So silly. Okay, I can think of no other reason because 300 cc's is below average for blood loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's totally. not. Even, it's not even average. So, so the fact that they never lost more than 299 cc's means they were obviously lying all the time. Yeah. And because they're because they were in charge, it didn't matter. Sound familiar, people? Sound <laughs> what's going on in the world right now? <laughs> people in charge can lie and do whatever they want, mm-hmm. and they never get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. By the way, there was something going on with this placenta and cord because you well, know you put a clamp on it and it whooshed. It it cut through, so it it wasn't, and it was really thick, which I've seen mm. before, right? And then when we like took some placenta off for the smoothie, Kim was saying like. It was definitely like kind of not beefy and in- and had integrity. So let me ask a question: How much did the baby weigh? The baby was seven pounds thirteen. So normal. Ounces. And how, how many weeks was she? Thirty-seven. Only thirty-seven. That's unusual. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what we call that? Mm-hmm. PPP. <laughs> this or protoplasm. Which is which? Which is what? What does that mean? Protoplasm. Oh, that's just a tissue. Protoplasm. You know how some people. You know, they tear easier yeah, and yeah. you try to sew them and yeah. it's like trying to sew for, for yeah. excuse me for, for saying this, but it's like not it's not like trying to sew beef tongue or 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 chicken. It's like trying to sew hamburger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, there's some people just have poor connective tissue. Yeah. And that's what we call <laughs> lovingly, we call it tissue. Yeah. Anyway. So the anyways. That's uh, what happened to my week. So it was very interesting. So did you have other things you wanted to add about doing a removal? No, I mean, you did, you, you do it right. You try to okay. shear it off. Sometimes you can't. And then you have to go up and pull it out in pieces mm-hmm. if it comes out in pieces. <laughs> That's what I was worried about. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you end up grabbing part of the placenta and you sort of, you're, you're, you're well, and if you can twist, like, you know, like they tell you to twist the placenta, like that's what I do to get the trailing membranes. One of the biggest problems when you do a, a manual removal of the placenta is leaving behind trailing membranes. Yeah. And that and that can lead to, to delayed postpartum hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. So talk about that because you had an experience with that, right? What do we, what yeah, should it's we a, look it's for a little, uh, with, with, what should we look for in terms of if you go in for a placenta and you may have left something behind. What should we continue to look for? Well, you, well, first of all, you should visually inspect the placentas. You should always visually yeah. inspect your placenta. Which is hard with the, the membranes, though. And, or, and it's hard when it comes out in pieces. Yeah. You, you have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even when the placenta appears intact, there could be remaining products inside. There could be membrane. There could have been a succinturate lobe. There could have, which is a separate, like, small lobe, uh, not connected to the main body of the placenta. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen in placentas with three lobes mm-hmm. before i have a nice picture on my iphone of that if you want um, to look but then there are risk factors for that too you know prior uterine surgery people with multiple d's and c's those are things should you be prepared for that sort of thing um most of our clients have ultrasound so we sort of know where the placenta is and we kind of have an idea but some clients will not have an ultrasound or they won't have had one for a really long time mm-hmm. and you may not know and you and that sort of thing it is not something that's 
always very predictable. Cord tearing off is certainly more common when you have a velamentous insertion, but when you're bleeding like that and the placenta is still in and you put your fingers inside and you don't feel placenta right there in the lower urine segment and they're bleeding that heavily, you, you, you have to go, you have to do something. You have yeah. to go get it. Yeah. And uh, it didn't tear off of the placenta. It no, it tore in the middle. Yeah, yeah. It snapped in the middle mm-hmm. of the cord. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that that's it. I, I just had an interesting recent case where nine days after a woman delivered twins, and she didn't really have a manual removal of the placenta, but the placenta did one of the, the initial placenta did come out a little bit mushy, and the other placenta was perfect, but it looked like they were both intact. But you couldn't be, really be sure if there were any membranes left behind. But on exam afterwards, um, we could not feel anything in the lower urine segment with one hand on the uterus and two fingers in the in the cervix. Mm-hmm. So we thought we were okay. Then about maybe four hours after birth, she ended up having a second bleed. Mm-hmm. So that was managed appropriately. There was IV started. We gave her the same things that you gave her, misoprostol and pitocin. It seemed to firm up and seemed to be fine. So she was fine. And then all of a sudden she started bleeding a lot. About four hours later. A yeah. lot. Right. Okay. okay. And did you go in again? I was already gone. Gone. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. This was a long distance delivery. Mm-hmm. So I was already gone. So the midwives took care of it. And let me know. And this is the problem. One of my one of my difficulties with my long distance deliveries is that when there's a problem down the road, I, I'm I'm really far away. Mm-hmm. But I work with unbelievably good midwives, and so yeah. they they can do pretty much anything that I can do to assess that. Yeah. Then she was fine. Then nine days postpartum, she developed a fever and a tender uterus, more to the right side than in the center. But her uterus was tender, and she had a fever of like one oh one five. So nine days postpartum is really kind of late to develop. When would you normally expect it? Endometritis, two, three days mm-hmm. postpartum. And if you go in for a baby or for a placenta, are you recommending taking antibiotics? Not usually. When would you? Because um, Kim asked me, she saw you do it at a birth. And so she was asking if I... If there's a, if there's a, a lot of manipulation way inside the uterus, if um, they had prolonged rupture of membranes, maybe if they had GBS, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's six and one half another. Cause I've learned that, that I know that antibiotics are used, probably overused in the hospital setting for everything. Babies who they don't know their status come in and get three days of antibiotics. Um, but when the uterus is open and draining, it's very unlikely that it's going to get infected mm-hmm. because that's what that's, yeah, it's hard for things to get infected when they're able to drain. Mm-hmm. So it's usually like, that's why abscesses, you need to incise and drain them. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you really don't need antibiotics anymore, maybe for the cellulitis around the abscess, but not for the abscess itself. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually give antibiotics when that happens. So here, here we are nine days out, she spikes the temper. So, but it's off to the right side a little bit, but she doesn't have any nausea, vomiting or diarrhea, no shoulder pain. But the question I always have in my mind is, is, is it an appendicitis? Because appendicitis in pregnancy is the great mimicker. You have no idea. You, you've missed, it's missed all the time because no one really thinks about it because you've had all these other things that could possibly be um, related to gynecology or mm-hmm. obstetrics. So um, our, my, our decision was because she didn't want to go to the hospital and get checked out mm-hmm. was to give her antibiotics orally for 24 hours. And if she wasn't better, then she'd have to go and get you know, an ultrasound or a CAT scan or whatever else mm-hmm. they do to look for appendicitis. Mm-hmm. Well, she got antibiotics, her fever came down, never went back up again. Her pain was better within 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, it must have been some sort of infection. But at the same time, I thought to myself, she probably should have an ultrasound because I want to know 
why this would happen nine days out. It's odd. But again, I, I, I held back on telling her this because she really did not want to go leave her house, leave her twins, leave her other two kids. She wanted to do all that. So she was better and she felt better. And I talked to her on the phone and she felt fine. Mm-hmm. All right. 21 days postpartum, she openly hemorrhages again. A lot, like 1,600 yeah. or more yeah. cc's. So yeah. she ends up, um, the midwives go over there. They try to control it for a little bit, but they can tell like they're not controlling or skiing a little bit weird and the mother finally says, you know, I, I think I'd rather be alive than, be, than not go to the hospital. A good choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, which means she has a sense of humor anyway. So um, so they took her to the hospital. She ended up losing about two liters. Uh, they ended up taking her for DNC. Mm-hmm. They verbally, we haven't seen a path report yet. They said they found something that they did an ultrasound that looked like they had a three centimeter echogenic area there, which could have been calcified clot. More likely it was a calcified cotyledon or something like that. Mm-hmm. Three weeks out, they did a DNC. She seems better now. She was discharged uh, less than 24 hours later okay. at home after she got transfused. Phew, but that's a lot. Yeah. The question, of course, is this is a, this is this, these are our tough problems when the placenta just doesn't fall out like it does most of the time. Mm-hmm. You are always have to have this in the back of your mind, and I think that maybe sometimes in the in the midwifery model we try so hard to keep our patients from getting worked up and get going to the hospital and getting stuff done. Yeah, we do. But sometimes you got to do it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like you were saying, you got to trust your gut and my gut feeling when at the nine day point, when she had this weird fever and stuff, that's so weird in and of itself Yeah. that I should have pushed myself more and said, you know, I think you should go in and, you know, now that you're better, let's just do this schedule. Let's just go in and get an ultrasound someday and just see what's going on in there because that's just weird. Yeah. Well, you know, we this this podcast is about even though we've been practicing for a long time and we've been around for a long time, um, you know, we keep learning new yeah, things. Yeah, that's two or three things I've learned today that I never knew before. <laughs> right. 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 So always keep learning. Always right. keep your mind open and and don't ever assume you know everything because right. you don't. And, and the other thing that can happen that can cause bleeding that far out is something called subinvolution of the uterus. Just where the the myometrium is boggy and doesn't really want to contract out. And the best medicine we used to have for that was methogen. And you gave 0.2 milligrams four times a day for five days, and it really worked well for that. But then suddenly methogen a few years ago became really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And plus it's hard, you know, to, to keep, right? That's, you have to refrigerate it. No, it's pills. You don't have, oh, no, no. Is- yeah, it's just pills. You don't, I'm not talking about injectable methogen. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about oral methogen became very expensive. And you can't give it to people who are mildly preeclampsia. You don't, you don't use it in people with preeclampsia or, or hypertension, hypertension, right? Yeah. But for people who aren't, you, it was it was really a good option. Mm-hmm. And now I think for whatever reason, it, it got really, you know, I don't know. I never really looked into it. I never really called the pharmacist and asked them the question. Yeah. So that's something I'll have to remember to do also. Okay. 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 So I have doctor, a dumb doctor dogma. This is from Raquel in London, our third most common Love it. country. Love it. I think uh, Australia's our first and England's our second. Invite us to London. Well, I don't think I'll be able to get in. You won't either because we're not vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. Right. By the way, that oh, I, 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 I was going to say something, but that would have been politically uh, Next week, charged. we'll talk more. All right. So this is from Kevin. Hey, I spoke to you back in November when I was told I couldn't birth my twins naturally. I am now 36 weeks and they are putting a lot of pressure on me. I have mono-die twins. Okay, but she's 36 weeks. 
She has no TTTS. Mm -hmm. She has their concordant twins. I know this because we spoke on the side. Mm -hmm. And I and they're putting a lot of pressure on me. I have been told that they will be born with cerebral palsy if I go into natural labor. Okay. So I don't even need to read any further as far as when we get to the dumb doctor dogma segment. Yeah. Who tells somebody that? And where's the dad? I mean, okay. I actually feel as if I was abused yesterday with the amount of negativity I received. I have been diagnosed with obstetric cholestasis since 31 weeks, but it has been managed. And they didn't mention anything about this. They're more concerned about me having two brain damaged babies. Okay. So she sent me her last ultrasound report, which was really recent. And the kids were within like 10 grams of each other. Both almost six pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Concordant. Her serum bile salt, serum bile acids was about 35. Which is hard. high, but it mm-hmm. but you don't see the stillbirth rate and the stuff until you get up close to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And and the one prior to that was 37. So it's her cholestasis is stable and she's not going nuts with itching mm-hmm. or anything like that. So it, this has nothing to do, the induction has nothing to do with the cholestasis thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. They haven't dumped the uh, the dead baby thing on her yet. They just dumped the brain damaged babies things on her. Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you reckon, I love the, who from London says that word? <laughs> Do you reckon I am high risk to allow these babies to come naturally? Any info on mo- monodye twins that may help? The hospital I'm with has nothing to show me because they never deliver twins vaginally. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. If you could help, this would be great. I sent her a lot of information yesterday. We carried on a conversation on messenger back and forth. I did, I, I sent her some of the ACOG uh, stuff. ACOG doesn't specifically say anything about monodye twins and the mode of delivery, all right? But if they don't have TTTS, that, oh, they were telling her that it can happen really suddenly and the babies can die within minutes. That's what they're telling her. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is so, like, yes, you could walk out the door and you could be hit by a falling meteor. Okay. It could happen. Right. So they obviously don't do vaginal twins. She wants vaginal twins. So they're giving her the ultimate scare tactic. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that we've talked about is that you can, you can determine how likely it is that you are going to get a C-section by looking at the hospital rate, like just the hospital that you walk into will influence whether or not you're going to have a C-section. So oh, I think that's and the, part and the other it. high risk factor for having a, a terrible delivery is that both head, twins are head down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she's got concordant vertex, vertex twins at 36 weeks. And they're telling her she needs to be delivered. I, let's see. They, they're putting a lot of pressure on me. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether they talked about induction or just doing a section with her. I did know that, but it's not in this, this letter that she wrote me. Anyway, I don't know how you tell somebody they'll be born with cerebral palsy. Uh, that that just is insane. And I t- totally believe that's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. We hear all this stuff, this stuff all the time, don't we? Right. So yeah. guys, here's what we do. Cause this is what we did with the first lady I read a letter from. I know that sometimes you don't have the option of getting a second opinion, but God, if you have people telling you stuff that doesn't sound right, it's probably not right. All right. Studies and, and, and information either tends to follow what common sense tells you or it's wrong. Common sense is rarely wrong. And when you hear something like that, it just got, it's got to trigger your um, alarm bells in your brain that this, 
isn't right. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. We're sorry that you feel abused, darling. And we hope that you can try and get a second opinion or figure out how to get care providers that support your plan. Cause it's really, it's an uphill battle if they don't. Yeah. And I don't know what the situation plan. is in the UK, as far as can you switch providers, can you switch hospitals or right. assign them? I don't actually know how it yeah. works. Yeah. Right. Socialized medicine. Right. So that's that dumb doctor dogma. And, what do you, and, and you have uh, some wisdom for us. Yeah. I just wanted to talk a little bit about this union Bial that I used at the birth. Um, it, uh, we had a segment in school that was from an acupuncturist. We learned a lot about Chinese medicine and acupuncture. We actually went to um, an herbal store and he talked a lot about Yun Baiyao. His wife is a midwife and she uses it. So can I, can I spell that for people? Yeah. Have you ever heard of it? No, okay. but it's Y-U-N-N-A-N-B-A-I-Y-A-O. Mm-hmm. And then there's another word too, which... That's okay. Don't worry about that one. But um, basically it is an alternative hemostatic product. It has not been approved uh, here or Australia or England to be able to use it for that purpose. But in China, it has been around for a really long time. And actually the really interesting thing about it is it was used, the history of it is that it was used in the war. It was used in a war between... um, a battle between the Chinese and the Japanese. And um, this was developed by a Chinese man. I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name. We'll call him Q. Um, And he formulated this. And then um, it became a like national, what did they call it? Anyways, I can't think of the word that they called it, but um, treasure. Yeah. Oh, a national yeah. Oh, okay. And so okay. he, after he died, his wife sold it to the government or gave it to the government, gave the recipe to the government. And it's like a secret. They won't even tell you what's in it. They have like 12 different people in, t- in like groups doing all of the formulation and no one gets to talk to each other so that they never know. And it's like, that's one of the big things about it is that it's a secret, ancient Chinese <laughs> secret. I knew you were going to say that. So if you look. That's, that we're dating ourselves, by the way. I don't know if some of you know, used to be a, um, a uh, was it laundry detergent? Yeah. Yeah, it was laundry detergent for getting things white. <laughs> and she would say ancient Chinese, Chinese secret. But it was actually huh? some local, it was some American product. Yeah, but, yeah. it was. <laughs> um, but it says right here, ingredients, nat- national secret formula. That would never happen in America. No. They won't they won't list the ingredients on the package because it's a secret. Right. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that like somebody's special sauce or how they cook the French fries at uh, <laughs> yeah, McDonald's? A sauce. Yeah. But I think it's a secret. I think that's a secret recipe at McDonald's too. But they did. Or how you make Coca-Cola. I think that's a secret recipe. Oh, I thought they had to tell you everything here in America. Mm, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. But this was used on the battlefield. That's the story that our teacher told us. And um, it saved a lot of soldiers. And that is why we use it. So if we, if we ever get a bayonet wound, that would be good to have? Yeah. Okay. Sprinkle it on there. Actually, one of the midwives that I know, if she's got like a little... Um... She takes me so seriously when I say these things. <laughs> yeah. I'm very literal. We've talked about this. If you get a little split, she just sprinkles this inside of the split to stop. Um, any bleeding and, and promote healing. Does it come in little capsules? or is Yeah, it... it's in capsules. So you just break them? Yep, you can break it open and sprinkle it, or you can just give it to the mom orally. We... You can hold it up in case people, we do a snippet on this one. 
Um, we did put some in water for my mom um, and had her drink the water, but we also gave her a capsule. We did both. Oh, this is for the, the same woman that had the bleed. Yeah, because we were like, let's just try everything. Right. So we did. So how does somebody get their hands on such an illegal substance? <laughs> it's not illegal. You can go to a, um, a Chinese um, oh. pharmacy. So, so you can use herbs for anything here, even if they're not approved by our... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So... I yeah. hope so too. Yeah, no, it's it's considered it's not illegal. It's considered a um a natural like a supplement here. It, they don't have it classified for that purpose. Yeah, it's, so it's not a drug. So it's just yeah. under it's under uh, a supplement. Supplements. So mm-hmm. supplements could be anything. Mm-hmm. And useless. Some of them are, are totally useless. But, <laughs> well, they are. Right. Yeah. So anyways, that's my uh that's my midwifery wisdom for the day because I knew that would okay. be something well, this, that this, you wouldn't necessarily this was, know. This about. was a good talk. I think we told, we, we, co- nice we covered story. a lot of stuff. I, yeah. I wanted to say I don't know that this will be uh, anything, but people who see part of this visually are going to see my T-shirt, and I just want to explain what it means. I don't know; I might have done it on the old podcast, but um, I went to a funeral uh, a year or two ago. I guess it was was it pre-COVID? Might have been pre-COVID or just at the beginning um, in Dallas, Texas, and we had an afternoon off hang out and I went to the um the Dealey Plaza Museum. Dealey Plaza is where John F. Kennedy was oh yeah you did talk about assassinated that. and mm-hmm. uh you get to go up to the fifth floor of the book depository and you can look out the window and mm-hmm. and um I remember Kennedy because I was in second grade at the time but but the moon the moon um race was really exciting for me as a young boy. And one of Kennedy's speeches that I think he gave in 1961 or 62 was his, we choose to go to the moon speech. And he said something like, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's the easy thing to do, but it's because it's the hard thing to do. Mm. And uh, I saw this t-shirt in the museum store and I bought it and it's one of my favorite t-shirts. So that's what we choose to go to the moon means. I love that. Yeah. Well, we can close on that note. We can. (laughs) So I'll just say bye and you will say. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 